of Ephesians 5, 21 through 27. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband. Submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the Savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's nothing like having your wife read Ephesians 5. Start the morning off here. Hey, um, that that was purposeful, not because like we're in a weird spot in our marriage or anything. Um, we be- we believe that uh, the Bible is true, um, but we also believe it's beautiful. We believe that 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 scripture is true and beautiful. We're actually in a series called Assembled, and uh, this is about the church. We're taking a look at who we are as the church, the people of God, what we are to do, what it's supposed to feel like around here. We're exploring that based on the metaphors that the, that the Bible gives us. The scriptures give us pictures to help us understand. Because how many of you learn better with pictures or stories? Yeah, it's just easier for us to grasp onto. There are profound mysteries with God that we will spend our whole life trying to understand, trying to get it from here to here, where it doesn't just make sense to us, but we actually feel it. We we, we believe it with our whole heart. And so the Bible gives us these pictures, these analogies, like family. We talked about the last few weeks of who we are as the people of God. The, the, The Bible also gives analogies like body. We're a body or we're a flock of little smelly sheep and we're a building being put together. This morning we're going to talk about maybe the most mysterious, maybe the most uncomfortable analogy, which is the bride. We are the bride of Christ. And here's what I want to do. I want us to unpack just three things this morning. One, this is true. Not because we're, we made it up, but because the Bible tells us this. This is true. We are the bride of Christ. Two, it's kind of weird. We can just admit to it. And then we want to move through that and move in to see the beauty and the profound mystery of this that will help shape us if we actually look into it. And number three, what does it mean? What do we do with that if we are truly the bride of Christ? So one, this is true. We are the bride of Christ. You may not feel like that this morning. You may not have the feels that Ryan was describing to you that you're liked by God this morning, not just loved because he has to, but he actually enjoys you. You may not feel that, but just because we don't feel something doesn't mean that it's not true. And just because you don't feel something this morning, you may like 
you were looking forward to worship, and you thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to get those feels, you know, that you get in worship. And maybe those feels didn't come in worship. Just because you don't feel something doesn't also mean that it's not true, but it also doesn't mean that you, you, you should just avoid it or move on from it just because you don't feel it. If we do that, we're actually going to miss out on a beautiful, mysterious, profound side of who God is and also who we are. It's good and it's right to look into this together this morning. So we named this church Radiant Church based off of that scripture and also Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to God are radiant and their faces are never covered in shame. This is not something that I feel all the time. I, don't, I didn't feel it this last week when I was having a bad attitude because Rachel couldn't pick things up. Right? I wasn't feeling very radiant. I was feeling other things that wasn't really spotless or blameless. I wasn't feeling that way. But it is our aim. Whether we feel like a radiant church or not, that is our aim. Because that's who God said we will be. Jesus is coming back not just for a bride, but for a radiant bride. He's coming back for a radiant people. God doesn't want an okay bride, and we don't want to be an okay church. We want to be a radiant church. No bride aims to be okay on their wedding day. Mark and April are getting married here in a couple weeks, and I met with them, and they've got a lot of plans. I'll tell you right now, April's plan is not to walk down the aisle in sweatpants, she has spent a lot of time, energy, probably money, and effort. Going, she's not going to look okay on her day. She's going to look amazing on her day. The day's going to be amazing. Uh, Mark's going to look amazing. He's going to shower, put on the good cologne. He's going to be ready for this day. We want to pursue the day where Jesus comes back for us his people, the same way and more than any bride would on their wedding day. We want to pursue looking and being prepared to be received in, just like any bride would be. So you may not feel love today. You may not feel lovely. You may not feel like a bride. You may not even feel like a part of this family, maybe. Maybe you feel like this just isn't for me. Like I was into family. This is maybe just not my thing. But we don't start with how we feel as Christ followers. We start with what's true. Even if, it's, even if we feel far from that, we start with what's true. And so this is what's true. We are the bride of Christ. And this isn't just a pretty feel-good picture that God gives us. It's, it's a profound mystery what the Scripture says of who God is and who we are. And it's also from cover to cover of the Bible. So it's not just one scripture that's plucked out in Ephesians that gets misused quite often. It's not just that. It's actually from Genesis to Revelation. We see this bridal theology of who God is and who we are. In Genesis, we see Adam and Eve, the first married couple, the first union on planet Earth. But it's actually not just about their union. It's pointing to a greater union between God and His people and they break that union. They sin. They break the covenant that's between him and God. And then the rest of Scripture 
is a beautiful picture of God pursuing his bride. We see this in Exodus with the Israelites. They are taken out of Egypt and captivity and bondage, and they're brought to a mountain, and they're given these Ten Commandments, which is like, you know, rules and laws. But if you look at it through the bridal paradigm, it's like wedding vows. God's saying, we will do this. You do this, and I'm going to do this. I'm committed to you. This isn't a contract. We're not signing some legal agreement. We are coveting each to each other right now. I will go nowhere. I will be for you and with you always. We see this throughout the prophets because the Israelites broke their covenant with God, and so he had to keep sending these prophets to come and remind them who they are. So Isaiah Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. Again in 62, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea is a prophet who actually is a living example. He's told to tell the people of God, you're a wayward wife. You've been sleeping around here. And to be a living example, God tells this prophet to marry a prostitute. And this prostitute keeps running away from him and keeps cheating on him and keeps moving farther away. And God is saying, I want you to pursue her. I want you to stay coveted to her because this is my love for my people. You can keep running, but I'll keep running after you. So that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we've got John the Baptist who calls himself a friend of the bridegroom. We've got Jesus himself in Matthew 9 who says, I am the bridegroom. We've got in the end of the book in Revelation, the Apostle John, who's the apostle of love. He says this in Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. This is the end of all things. The credits are about to roll and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Cover to cover, we see this beautiful picture of who God is and who we are. The Apostle Paul, who wrote that Ephesians verse that Rachel read this morning, he was not married. He did not have a wife. But I'll tell you this, he received a profound revelation of what it was to be a bride with Christ. And he did not shy away from it because he didn't have a physical living example in his life. So he just didn't get it. No, he got it because the Holy Spirit gave it to him. And then he used that to preach the gospel and the good news to people who are lonely and hurting and desperate to know that they are loved and pursued by God. This includes everybody. This passage in Ephesians, it points to a man and a wife, but it points beyond that. It points to really the ultimate love story. Your love story, if you're married, is not the ultimate love story. There's a greater one that actually lasts forever with no ups and downs in eternity. It's just up. It's the marriage between Christ and His church. It's good and it's right to put an emphasis on your own marriage, but not above the marriage of Jesus and His church. Just like it's good and right to prioritize your own family, but not at the expense of your family of faith. So whether you feel it or not, whether you totally understand it or not, which I don't, but I'm, I'm, I've, in even preparation for this, I'm just learning to repent, which is just turn from not looking at this 
to looking at this and saying, this is for me. God is for me, and I want to know him better. I want to know myself better. So this is true, but it also doesn't make it less weird sometimes or difficult to understand. For those of you who feel similarly to me, it's like, this is weird, and I don't get it, and I wish you'd move on from this. Let's go back to family. If you feel like that, I just want to say, welcome to the Bible. Welcome to the Christian life. It gets weird. Like you maybe just are on your first leg of stepping into this journey with Jesus. It gets weirder the farther you go in, the farther you go on. It also gets more beautiful and liberating. So here's some things that I just, I think maybe will help us move through the awkwardness and move into embracing this reality and receiving this reality. Some people just run to this idea. This is like their favorite image that the Bible gives them, right? They, they start planning like date nights with Jesus. They're waiting for the rapture in like a wedding dress, right? This is the, this is the thing. I, this is... If you're going to go all in on something, I want you to go all in on Jesus. Not, not, I don't want you to go all in on a title that's been given to you. I want you to go all in on the man who has given you this title. And I also don't want us to just dismiss it because it's just like, I'm not my thing, man. I like God as a warrior. When you say he's a lover, this makes me uncomfortable. And if we stay in that posture, we're going to miss a revelation of a divine romance that we're all longing for and want desperately. So here's some things I, I hope will be helpful in moving through this. Number one, it's an analogy. It's just a picture. It's, it's a picture that's helping us understand an unseen reality. So there's no need to get caught up in it. There's no need to be like afraid of it, like I don't like this, and there's no reason to be obsessed with it. Again, if you're going to obsess about something, obsess about Jesus. It's God being an infinitely wise and loving God trying to help us come closer and understand who he is, and in turn, understand who we are as people. Number two, it's corporate. The bridal analogy is corporate. The bride of Christ is mainly a corporate reality. In fact, every time the scripture refers to God's people as the bride, it's referring to a group, not an individual. Now, this should impact us individually and profoundly for us. And we do want to tend to our personal relationship with Jesus, but we want to be careful not to go beyond what scripture limits for us. And what scripture says is that we are the bride of Christ, not me. In fact, the church is designed to beat this idea out of you in a loving way that life is about you. This is the great, one of the greatest gifts of the church for you and me is that we get to get over ourselves. Man, what a gift from God. Sometimes I just get so tired of myself. I get in my way so often. And the, the church is gifted to us to help remind us that we are are more important than me. We lay down our life for each other. We submit to each other. We are the bride of Christ. The third thing is this. It's universal. It's universal, which means it's for men and for women. 
This is because it's not referring to a, a physical reality. It's referring to a spiritual reality. And this goes both ways. In the New Testament, every time the Bible says that you are a son of God, it's not relating just to men. Women, you are sons of God. You are daughters of God. It's a universal term. Like when somebody says, hey, you guys, it's not sexist. It's just a universal term to say, you guys, all of us here. Just like when it says we're the bride of Christ. It's not a feminine, exclusive reality. I am a part of the bride of Christ. This is true. It's a little strange to move with but it will become easier and more beautiful and palatable the more we move into this. So what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? First and foremost, it means what we've been singing and proclaiming all morning, that we are loved. We are loved. We know this year we've talked about, we, we took some time to talk about the different aspects of God's love in the Trinity, and we know that, the, that God is a pursuing God, that he has a pursuing love. John 15, 6 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And again, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he loved us. He first loved us. So regardless of your gender, regardless of your age and how long you've been in this life, Regardless of your preference or personality, inside of you is a desire to be pursued. It's in all of us. There's a longing to be wanted. There was a longing inside of Ryan that he confessed to us this morning that he didn't even know what it was until God said, it's a desire in you that only I can meet. It's only met when we listen for the voice of God to say, I love you and I like you. I did this not because I had to. I did this because I wanted to. There's also inside of each and every one of us, if you look around, we all look pretty unique and different, but inside of each one of us as human beings is a desire not just to be pursued, but a desire for identity. Who the heck are we? We spend so much time chasing it, reading books, looking to other people, trying to discover, mining the depths, whatever inside of us. We want to know who we are. We want to not just know it, we want to own it. We want to establish it. We want to be firm in it. We know who we are. Both of these ultimately come from God. A pure and holy pursuit. Not to manipulate you, not to get you to do what he wants, but just purely because he likes you and he loves you. And ultimately, who you really are cannot be known outside of knowing God. Song of Songs 2.16 says this, My beloved is mine and I am his. The fact that you are the bride of Christ means above all, you are loved. You're loved. Like Jeremiah says, with an everlasting love, with unfailing kindness. You may be rejected by everyone and adored by no one. And yet, your Creator's affections for you will not waver or fail. Without exaggeration, a majority of the brokenness in this world would be healed if we had a revelation of this kind of love that was for us, the striving for importance that we experience, the lies and manipulation, the cheating and lusting, abandoning, violence, murder, 
So much of this would dissolve if men and women would let the perfect love of God, the perfect love of the bridegroom, fill them and cast out fear and emptiness. Your identity as a son or daughter of God or as the bride of Christ is the most important truth about you. More important than your function or form or what you do and how you fit. More important than your job and how you perform. More important than what you present on social media is the fact that you are loved. In fact, you can't do anything about it. You can't run from it. You can't be bad enough. You can't spit in his face enough. You can't ignore it enough. His love for you is infinitely deep and wide. It's always for you. This is the most important thing about who you are and who I am. Jesus is also very excited to help us become a radiant bride. This is not up to you or to me just to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make this thing happen. We do have a part in this, just like in any marriage or in any friendship. You have a part to play in this thing, in making this thing work. But Jesus is doing the heavy lifting of preparing you and me to be a radiant bride. In Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking to his church, to his bride, and he's bringing her praise, and he's also challenging her on a few things. And this, I believe, is true for us this morning. So I, I, I think maybe some of you have read this before or heard this, but I just want you to hear it freshly. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear this as your true voice? This is what Jesus says to us. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who have claimed to be apostles, people of God, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Jesus knows it's been a struggle in your life. Jesus knows it was a struggle to get here. Jesus knows you've lost friends over him. He knows that your family is divided. He knows that people have said unfair and unjust things about you because of him. You've not got certain jobs because of him. You've lost certain friends because of him. He knows these things, and he knows that you're persevering. You're here this morning because you're moving forward. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Jesus knows you and I intimately and what we're going through. He also knows that the issue is that our love grows cold. You've got right behavior. You showed up to church. You look very nice. Way to go. You've got the right beliefs. You're like not into like weird theology. Like I'm not saying you believe in God. You're going to get a million dollars today. You're not for that. If I said that, you'd throw me out of here. You should do that. You're in, you're, you've got this, but what's the deal? What about your heart? What about your affections for Jesus? Have they fallen cold? Love just kind of grows cold. 
I'm not talking about just for God. This is normal. So if you're experiencing some of this, this is actually kind of normal. But you're experiencing this in other things besides God. You're experiencing this in your job. Like what you were once passionate about. Like I get up in the morning. I eat and drink this thing. Now the paycheck is like barely cutting it for you. And you're just looking around like, is this what my life is? Is this it? This is true like in our marriages. This is true in our friendships. You've put in so much effort for so many years. And it just doesn't feel like it's going to like, it's like doing anything. It just doesn't feel the same way that it did before. That's because love for anything, for anyone has to be fostered and it has to be stoked. It has to be reimagined and reignited as the years go on. You've got like a gas tank in your love tank here and it will go down. You have to refill it. You have to keep topping off. The call that Jesus makes is not a call to feel the way you did it first. He's not saying feel it. Just feel it. Come, just feel it. No, what he's saying is do what you did at first. If you are waiting until you feel it to step closer to God, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're waiting to feel it in relationship or friendship with somebody, you're going to be waiting a long time. What Jesus is saying is begin to do what you know you're supposed to do and then believe that those feelings will follow obedience will jumpstart your affections for Jesus. I promise you, your obedience to God's word will jumpstart your heart for affection for him. It will do this. The problem with the church, this is things get shaky in the church. The problem is not that we are headed to the left with like some kind of like weird progressive theology or wokeism. That's not the main issue with the church. You may think it is, but it's just a byproduct of a deeper issue. And the problem with the church isn't that we're going right into some kind of weird conspiracy theory land or just some exclusivity world where it's us for and no more. That's not the problem. That's like a symptom of the problem. There's a deeper issue. The deeper issue isn't left and it isn't right, but it is center. It is our hearts as individuals as the church. Our love has grown cold. We, we don't desire God. We don't want Him. The problem is that we've forsaken that loving feeling. Like, oh, that was just like a while ago. That was like a zeal, like a while. Like, it's just supposed to go away. It, you're just supposed to do the duty now. Delight was like for the first couple years, and now it's like, we're making this thing. We've lost our affection. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't have to be this way. You can actually burn hot. It's easy to get focused on the things that are around us, the people that are around us. Here's the deal. Good gifts in your life, good things that God's given you, can take the place of the affection that you have or should have for God. We begin to worship, we begin to adore, we begin to obsess about the good gifts God has given us instead of obsess about the good gift giver who has an endless supply in his cupboard for things and pleasures and enjoyment and love and happiness. 
We just don't get obsessed about him. We get obsessed about the little tiny. Here's the thing. If you are more excited in this wedding process to go to Target and scan things for your registry than you are about the person and the future that you have with that person, you should get the heck out now. Just so you know, this is the exact same, this is the exact same thing with Jesus. If you are more excited about the registry list that you get from him than you are about him, there is a call this morning to return. Return. That stuff's going to go away. There's always more. He is the eternal one. So this is what we want to do this morning. We want to respond to Jesus' call in Revelation 2. We want to repent. We want to just turn. We want to acknowledge that like we just, we're not there. Just not there. And we want to begin to do what we did at first.